1: Have you ever found God to be surprising? Or have you always found him to be predictable? Does God surprise you at times? Or has your Christian life been one that just, well, I came to Christ and it's pretty well the same thing day in and day out. In dealing with our own personal relationship with God, I would say that many of us, including myself, have often been surprised by God. Surprised by how or when or what He's done.
0: As we go about our daily lives, it's fairly easy for us to fall into a routine or pattern that shows little to no variation. Once we're in this mindset, we can often impose this monotonous reality into our perception of other people, places or things. Throw this perception of God into the picture and we're quick to find ourselves surprised by His next move. In today's message, Pastor David discusses how we're sure to be surprised by God once we feel we've figured Him out. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Surprised by God.
1: to start this morning by going right to the passage that we're going to be covering this morning here in Luke chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, your tablets, whatever you might need, we need to let the children out. I'm getting the word. Yes. Okay. So the children are dismissed to Sunday school. Thank you. And the rest of you can turn, if you would, to uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now, we touched on the beginning of Luke last week. We looked at the first four verses as we're beginning our series of Luke, Jesus, the Son of Man. I want to uh, actually back up. We're going to actually start reading in verse 1 again and then on through about, uh, I believe, it's verse 13. So if you'll follow along with me, let's take a look what Luke is speaking to us. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And as much as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Now, actually, in the Greek, that's all one sentence and I had to pause and get breath a couple of times there, but it's all one sentence. He now moves into verse 5. He says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, And then an angel appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw it, he was troubled and fear fell on him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. We're going to take at hand this morning to look at just the beginning of that angelic message to Zacharias it's he speaks to Zacharias that he's going to be the father of John the Baptist. As we look at these, uh, we, we, we understand that John the Baptist, the forerunner of the coming of Messiah, was going to come from Zacharias and Elizabeth, a couple who had been barren for years and years and years. And now this angel shows up and says, no, you are going to have a son. Now that's absolutely amazing news. You've got to understand that for Zacharias, that was absolute wonderful and amazing news. But it was also amazing news to those in Israel who were waiting and looking for the coming of Messiah. The word of God, the prophetic message of God was now coming into play as they looked at these. Uh, the word looked at the understanding that John was going to be the forerunner of Messiah. Let me ask you a question this morning. When was the last time that you were really surprised in life? I mean, really surprised, to that point that, uh, you know, again, it, it kind of blows your hat off, really uh, shocks you kind of surprise in your life. For a lot of us, we get into a regular routine of life, don't we? And not a whole lot of surprises happen. There's some of you I know, and I'm gonna, in fact, I wanna ask for a show of hands. How many of you enjoy surprise parties, surprise parties? Come on, only that you know, okay, okay how many of you really despise surprise parties okay yeah, well, we're gonna have a class on Wednesday for all of you that are you know uh, that, that need to be uh, encouraged and need to be challenged on enjoying surprises and enjoying fun things. No, not really, but surprises happen in life and and I'm not talking about those kind where where somebody comes and shocks you or jumps out behind the counter. What I'm talking about is, just out of the love and concern and care of a heart that people are willing to do something out of the ordinary for you. Perhaps a card, unexpected, for no reason at all. Perhaps a, a phone call, unexpected, that comes from someone that you love. Simply doing something out of the ordinary, something totally unexpected. But now, more to the point, let me ask you this. In your Christian life, have you ever found God to be surprising? Surprising? Or have you always found him to be predictable? Does God surprise you at times? Or has your Christian life been one that just, well, I came to Christ and it's pretty well the same thing day in and day out? In dealing with our own personal relationship with God, I would say that many of us, including myself, have often been surprised by God, surprised by how or when or what he's done. We strive to understand how God works. We, we strive to understand according to his word, according as we learn of his personality, we learn of his attributes. We strive to understand God in a way that uh, sometimes we figure we have him all figured out. And then God changes something. He does something. Now, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, today and forever. One pastor put it this way, we know that God never changes. His character has always remained the same since the first days of Adam and Eve, and I would say actually to eternity beyond that. However, he writes, people assume that they know how God is going to respond in any given situation. And that really and truly is kind of how we are. We believe we know how God is going to respond to something. We most often see situations from our perspective. We relate them to our experiences and then we anticipate that God's answer or response is going to be according to our understanding. And yet the word of God tells us completely different. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 55 verse eight and nine, that the Lord is speaking and he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if as Isaiah has written for us, God declares that his thoughts are different than ours, that means that my thoughts, they don't run in the same realm as God's thoughts. And if, as Isaiah says, my processes, my way of life, are not naturally in the same direction as God's, since that's true, I think that the only reasonable way to understand this is that we are going to be surprised by God at times as he's working in our lives. Today, we're looking at a situation of an older man and his wife they loved God, and year after year, they faithfully served God. And in their heart, I believe they desired to be used by God. And yet it seemed, as we know the context of what this is written, it seems as though every year was simply more of the same stuff. But God wasn't finished. Even in their advanced age, in in the midst of the regularity of life, God surprises them by what he's going to do and how he was going to use them. Yes, even at that age. Luke says that it was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, that this certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well-advanced in years. Now, that's the politically correct way of saying they were old, okay? Okay. Well advanced in years. We don't know for sure how old they are, but we understand from what Luke writes, they're beyond childbearing years. I'm sure in some way they've they've given up on that prayer that they've had all through their lives. But in another way, I believe that they kept praying for it. Luke begins with laying out the time frame. He lays out a time frame that his readers would be able to connect to. Not too unlike if I were to tell you that a certain event happened in my life the day after the terrorist attack during the Bush administration. Now, if I told you that, that it was the day after that attack, you would know that that event for me would have been September 12th, because September 11th is a day that I believe for our generations, we're going to remember forever. Forever. So Luke gives this time frame of that it was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, so that everyone reading the account would know about what time these events took place. Now, Herod the Great is the Herod that he's speaking of here. Herod was a king over the area of Judea and Samaria and Galilee and Perea, all of those areas, from about 37 B.C. until his death at 4 B.C. So we understand that Luke is writing Actually, a passage here that's going to be dealing with just a year or the same year of Herod's death. So around 5 or 4 B.C. And Luke relates that the certain priest named Zacharias is now serving here in the temple. Luke gives us a very personal, a very spiritual reference in regards to Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. In verse 6, he tells us that they were both righteous before God. He says that they both walked in all of the commandments of God. He tells us that they were both walking in the ordinances of the Lord, that they were both blameless before the Lord. Now, you need to understand in the midst of that, that does not mean that they were perfect. That does not mean that they were sinless. What it does mean is these were people of faith. And just as for Abraham, his faith was accounted unto him as what, church? as righteousness. I believe for Zacharias and Elizabeth, it was the same way. They were people of faith. They believed who God was. They believed that God was a God who fulfilled his promises. They were worshipers of God. They were those who, again, wanted to serve him with a whole heart. The faith that was lived out in their lives was lived out in obedience to the things of the Lord. So God's good pleasure was on them. However, we look at verse 7, and what does it say? They had no child. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Now, you need to understand the mind frame of that culture. To be with, without child, that, that's perceived as literally having a curse on you particularly if you were a priest, because there's no one to carry on your name, no one to carry on your heritage. For the most part, the people felt that if the Lord was truly pleased with you, you would have children. You'd probably have an abundance of children if God was really pleased with you. Why? Because they would look back at what the psalmist wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 127, he says, behold, children are are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So if God's going to bless you, surely you're going to have children. And if you don't have children, then apparently God's blessing isn't on you. Now that might not be verbalized to them, but you have to understand that in that culture, that was very much the mindset. And even though Zacharias and Elizabeth undoubtedly wanted children, I believe that they understood that for them, apparently, this just was not going to be God's will. It wasn't going to be God's plan. But that didn't stop them from praying and asking. So even with that issue kind of hanging in his heart and in his mind, Zacharias goes into the temple to do the ministry of That he was called to do. Verse 8 says that, so it was that while he, while Zacharias was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. This time of coming and burning the incense, it would happen in the morning and as well as in the evening. We know that the burning of the incense was symbolic of the prayers of the people desiring the blessings of the Lord in their lives. It's estimated that at the time of Zacharias, there was over 20,000 priests available to serve in the temple. Well, they figured that there were way too many priests way back in David's time, and they divided them up into divisions. And right now, at this point in time, because of his time, because he was of the division of Abijah, it was his time, it was his place to be serving in the temple. And for those that were serving in the temple, they would draw lots to figure out who it was that was going to be able to go into the holy place and burn the incense. And through God's sovereign plan, God's sovereign purpose, the lot fell on Zacharias. It was a huge honor. It was a huge blessing, and because of the great multitude of priests, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for any priest to be able to go in there. You've got to stop and figure for a moment how powerful a time that had to be for Zacharias, a man who loved the Lord, who loved serving the Lord, who came as a minister of the Lord, and he gets to be the one to bring the incense into the holy place. I believe that it was probably the highlight Zacharias Zacharias's life oh but he doesn't have a clue what a great highlight that time was going to be why because God is going to surprise him even in the midst of that now before we go any further you need to understand also a little bit of the background of the significance of what's going to happen the temple that we're speaking about here is known as the second temple. It's also known as Herod's temple, but before it was claimed as Herod's temple, it was the second temple that was built around 518 BC by Ezra and those that assisted him during those times. And you can go back in your Old Testament and look at the book of Ezra and read all about those things. The problem was is when they built it in Ezra's time, it wasn't anything spectacular about it at all. Remember, Solomon's temple had been destroyed. Now they came in and they rebuilt this second temple. And the people who had seen Solomon's temple, once this second temple was built, the word says that they cried because it just did not have the splendor of the first. It was kind of a sad representation of the first. Well, they had that temple for years, and they went through, again, the ceremonies and the feasts in that temple for years. And when Herod came to become king, he moved into this huge building program all throughout Judea. And so he did a major remodel and expansion of this temple, and that's why today we refer to it as Herod's Temple. He made it a beautiful, spectacular place. The sad thing was we never read From the Old Testament time of Ezra on into this time, we never read where God ever showed up at that temple. If you remember the story when Solomon had the temple built, the first temple, and Solomon prayed the prayer of dedication, the glory of the Lord came into that temple in such a powerful, powerful way that literally it drove the priests out of the building because the glory of the Lord was so strong there. The second temple was built, and we never really read where God showed up at all. They had a beautiful building, but God wasn't there. That's a sad declaration, whether it be the temple of that day or churches that are built today. Having a beautiful building, but God not there. As a matter of fact, for the people of God, they'd not really heard a word from the Lord for over 400 years. Since the time of the prophecy of Malachi, we have nothing else in Scripture of the move and the power and the word of God. No other major prophet came. For 400 years, there had been silence. But yet for 400 years, priests had entered into that temple. They went through the motions without any kind of a response from God. Some, no doubt, went through the motions with a heart that was far, far from God. It was just a job for them. But I also believe that there were many that went through Again, all of the ceremony, all of the ritual that had a heart for God, but it just wasn't the same. God didn't show up, and year after year after year, it remained the same. Those people during that silent period, I believe that there were those that had that anxious anticipation that God would show up. I know that because even Luke writes a little bit later in his gospel about a couple of people, Simeon and Anna, who are there in the temple, and they prayed daily there in the temple, and they were of that group of people, of those that looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were prayer warriors for the people of God. Put it in today's setting. They were prayer warriors for the church. They wanted to make sure that God was moving within the church and that God was was actively involved in what the church was doing. These were the ones that looked forward to the coming of that day according to the words of the prophets, the day of God's power returning to them. They believed that it could be any day now that Messiah would come. But you know what? It hadn't happened yet. And so they, along with everyone else, they waited week by week by week. Now, can you imagine the dialogue that might come after the Sabbath day meetings? The man goes home and the wife says, oh, darling, how was Sabbath today? Well, that's my bad impression of a Jewish wife. So that's all we're getting. And he says, you know what? It's just pretty much the same, pretty much the same sang a lot of psalms. That one psalm, they sing the chorus over and over and over again, and I, cannot believe, I just wish they wouldn't do that. And they sang this one psalm, and they, they, they changed the tune to it, and I, I can't even sing to it anymore. So difficult to really enter into worship. One of them they changed, they, you sing it so high, none of us guys could sing it. Of course, yeah, they sacrificed a lot of animals. They went through all their rituals. And they read from the Torah, just like they normally do. Oh, man, they are in Leviticus now, and now. Oh, man, it's so weary, so empty. You know, it's just kind of the regular stuff. Same thing, weekend and week out. And we might laugh at that kind of a thought, but in reality, the unfortunate things, many times these are the very same words or thoughts that we might have. Maybe we don't speak them out, but sometimes... We kind of feel that it's just monotonous, that there's no real glory of the Lord that comes out. Open
0: our hearts.
1: Us from within by the open word.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us.
1: We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home, but it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially
0: supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option
1: in the main menu.
0: We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.